Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, everybody. Shep Hyken here, back with another episode of Amazing Business Radio and very excited because today we have Howard Tiersky today. He is a Wall Street Journal best-selling author of a new book called Winning Digital Customers, The Antidote to Irrelevance. Is that right? I think so. Absolutely. <laughs> I say that. It's uh, Who wants to be irrelevant? Hey, before we get started, a couple of quick announcements. Uh, if you've got an amazing story or question you'd like to share or ask, just reach out to me on any of the social media channels like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. You know where I am. I'm everywhere. If it's a question, use the hashtag AskShep. I'll either answer the question you send in there on this show or on my TV show, Be Amazing or Go Home, which can be found on Amazon Prime, uh, Apple TV, Roku, and a number of other places. And now you can catch most of the episodes on YouTube. Just go to beamazing.tv. You'll land on a page that has all of season one and about four or five of season two episodes on there. All right, let's get into the interview. Uh, Howard Tiersky, as I mentioned, best-selling author of this great book, and I'm holding it in my hand. And I'm, you know, I'm not traveling much these days. And the reason I mentioned that is if I had to put this book in my briefcase, it would double the weight of my briefcase. It is a dense book filled, and I mean jam-packed with information. And what I love about it is it's a five-step process that he talks about. And we're going to get into what each of those steps are in just a little while so you get an idea of what the book is. But Howard, hey, what else can I say? Welcome to the show. Oh, Shep, thanks so much for having me. I, I love your stuff. I'm an avid reader of your books, listening listener to your podcast, so I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Well, thanks. So let's start off. Uh, just writing books isn't exactly what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. So tell us about what you do in real life. Absolutely. Well, what I've been doing for the last 25 years is working with uh, large brands on digital transformation, a, something which has changed over time what, compared to what we were doing a, a couple decades ago to today. But in some ways, it's not changed in that the world continues to change. The customer's expectation continues to change. And so many brands have the opportunity to meet the new digital needs of their customers in ways that are superior to their competitors and therefore earn much more customer love. They also have the risk that if they don't change fast enough, that if they don't keep up with the changing expectations of their customers, that they could fall out of sync with what we call the customer love formula. And we, of course, that's one of the reasons why my book is, uh, you know, the antidote to irrelevance. Of course, we've seen many brands uh, lately become irrelevant and, and out of business. Uh, and that's, of course, our goal is to not only save uh, large brands from that fate, but to figure out how to really help them thrive in this digital age. Yeah. And I think that in the last 10 years, it was a transformation. However, uh, the COVID pandemic has seemed to accelerate um, the use of digital. And I don't think so much it's a transformation today. I think, first of all, it's table stakes in most businesses. And number two, it's probably today, it's more refinement than transformation. Because if you weren't already there before, you know, everybody's locked down and people are now buying and doing things online differently than they did before. And it's becoming a habit. It's not like going to go back to the way it used to be. Uh, am, am I, am, is my, my thought process here online? Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. I, I, I like to, uh, 
make the analogy, it's a little bit like you're in a race and you know, there's the front runner and the customer's expectations are maybe just a little bit behind the front runner. So where are you in that race? And I think there's a lot of companies that are that have been behind, right? A lot of great brands that are pre-digital brands and they were already running behind customer expectations. And then COVID came along and what happened? The front runners ran faster, the customers running faster. And so what, however fast you were running before, you got to run even faster to keep up. And yep. the reality is the transformation is never done, or at least we're in a time of continuous change. And so therefore, even if you thought you caught up, you better keep running because that runner is going to keep on running. And, and unfortunately, and I say unfortunately, because it would be great if you didn't have to do all this. You know, it'd be great if you could keep your business exactly the same and the customer would continue to love what you're doing. But unfortunately, that's just not the world we live in. Now, I say, unfortunately, I love rapid change, but of course, a lot of people don't, and it's expensive and disruptive. But in yep. this time of, of rapid change, you've really got no choice. If you want your business to remain relevant and successful, you've got to keep changing with the times. Yeah, I, you know, I was just reading an article, and I think there's a correlation between what you're talking about. And it's not so much digital, it's mindset and what the pandemic did to us. So first of all, many of us are now working from home. You are, I can see from our interview, it's not video based, but for those listening, I'm looking at a great, uh, like a real, really cool man cave or sitting area, TV room, big leather couch. Okay, big bookcase. Looks Welcome great. My office. I'm actually sitting in my office. Is this your regular office or is this no, your this home is office? my home office. Oh, your home office. Okay, so I'm actually sitting in a boring regular office with, I have a lot of stuff on the wall, but anyway. I, I uh, digress here. So the article that I read had was talking about how with people working from home, there, a lot of them aren't going to go back into the office. And if they are, they're not going to be going back quite as much. They think there's going to be this resurgence of shopping malls coming back into vogue. And, you know, because and they talked about how the last year it's been devastating. I said, OK, let's think about this for a minute. The last year was devastating, but the malls were having problems five years ago, not just last year. So if you are behind, you're even like you say, further behind today. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. And and what my book is about and what I'm focused on with my clients every day is, is how to catch up. And it's partly about figuring out where your customer is right now, because you know, a lot of businesses, a lot of executives, they, they maybe have an intuition, intuitive belief about the, where, the, where the customer is, but they don't necessarily do the research to really understand, you know, to really keep their finger on the pulse of where their customer is right now in terms of their needs and expectations and their points of pain, which clearly yep. have changed considerably with COVID. That's where so much of the opportunity is. Um, and then obviously, how do you really, how do you really make the right choices about how to how to improve the customer experience because one of the challenges of trying to improve the experience is there are so many opportunities you know you could give them free coffee you could add carpet to the store you could lower the prices you could have better service it's just endless the number of opportunities and so a lot of what we are working with our clients on and what the book's about is how do you prioritize how do you figure out how you can apply money and time and effort to get the maximum possible impact in terms of the in terms of the customer's experience, the customer's emotional uh, reaction and love, and ultimately their behavior. Because the, you know, the, the, the thing that we always talk about and is first and foremost in all of our consulting work is the money is all tied to customer behavior. And so if you can figure out how to get the customer to do what you want, you know, there, there, there may be other parts of your business that are important, you know, 
workforce efficiency and other things. But if you can get the customer to do what you want, yeah, that'll make up for a lot of sins. And if the customer is not doing what you want, then no matter what else you're doing with excellence, you, you got a real problem in your business. There's really two things I want the customer to do. I want them to buy and I want them to come back. Can, are any other things I should add to that list? Oh, definitely. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I certainly agree with you that, that buying, yeah. and of course, there's a whole model actually in our book about different kinds of customer behaviors, but mm-hmm. certainly you've got the top ones. And of course, buying has a variety of subcomponents like buy more, right. buy, you know, cross sell, yeah. things like that. Right. And of course we want loyalty. We want the customer to come back and to come back more frequently. But here are a few other common things that we want the customer to do. One would be be an advocate, right? Post on social media, tell their friends, those types of things. Another is lower our cost of service. Of course, it depends on the um, nature of your business. But for example, many businesses see a huge um, financial impact by driving customers to more self-service channels for certain types of interactions. Now, there are some types of interactions where you don't want that. But in many interactions, both the customer is happier and the company spends less money if we can get that customer to engage with us from a self-service transaction perspective. Another is haggling or shopping around, having the customer have a mindset of, you know what, I'm just going to pay whatever the price is because I love you so much. I'm not going to worry about it versus the customer who says, well, I think I'm going to shop around. I'm going to compare your competitors, or I'm even going to channel shop and figure out where's the promo code, where is this thing on sale? Uh, That's a behavior. You know, some things are things we want the customer to do. And some things are behaviors that we want the customer to not do. Right. Be so good that, that the price becomes less relevant and the experience more. Um, I, I do, before we take a break, and we've got a couple of minutes here. The first thing, I do want to talk about the love continuum, and, and I love the word love. Uh, I love when executives use, use the word love when they're talking to people because it just humanizes them more. But also, even on your book, you've got a little heart in the middle of you know where, cus, where the O is in customers. You've got a little heart there. But, um, oh gosh, I just lost my train of thought here. But let's go ahead and talk about the, uh, the, the love continuum real quick. Sure, absolutely. Oh, oh I know what the question was. Yeah. B2B versus B2C. That's what it, I wrote it down. How can I not? How can I miss that? A lot of what you're sharing it sounds like, okay, this is appropriate for B2B, but then you mention a B2C type business. I believe B2C mentality is approaching and or encroaching into the B2B world. And we need to be thinking that way. Your book addresses, and I'm saying this is a fact, but I just want an extra comment. It addresses B2C and B2B, but what are your thoughts on everything we're talking about today? A hundred percent. Yes, the book does. And there's a lot of similarities, more similarities than a lot of people realize between selling B2C versus B2B, first of all, but there are some key differences. But the first point is they're just people right? And, and the same people that are making a B2B decision are the same people who go home and make B2C decisions. And so their fundamental sort of neurology and psychology is, is the same. It's literally the same human being. So from that perspective, let's remember that in the end, companies don't buy anything. Only people buy things. You know, yep. there's no company behavior. I wanted this client, this company to do this. Well, the company's That's not going to That's a tweetable line, by the way. I oh. love that. Awesome. Well, there you go. Companies don't buy, people buy. I love that. Something like that, whatever you just said. It was right. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Well, and then when we ask, so how do people buy? We know from many, many studies, including probably some of yours, that that while the emotional and the rational side both play in to purchase decisions and other decisions as well, 
like firing a, a, an agency or whatever, it, the emotional side tends to be more powerful. People tend to lead both with the feelings that they want to have, but also the, also with their fears. You know, the old nobody ever got fired for hiring IBM is a classic example of what is that really saying? They're hiring IBM out of fear. Um, now, yeah. nothing against IBM. They're a great company, but it, most people know that quote. And it's just an example of the point that emotion, such as love, drives so many of those decisions. I, I think the major difference in B2B sales versus B2C sales, particularly for selling to a larger organization, is sometimes that you have just a large number of decision makers. So with a B2C sale, by the way, a B2C sale is not necessarily a single decision maker. Right. For example, we've done a lot of work in the, with uh, travel and vacation planning, working with resorts like Universal Studios theme parks. That's a decision that can be made by two people, sometimes a whole family of four, five, six, seven people, all debating and deciding where the family should go on vacation. Uh, but when you start to sell enterprise software, you may now have dozens of people who have a role in that decision process. They're still all individual people with emotions, but now you've just got to track a lot more buyers. Right. And the sales cycle is, is longer as well. Absolutely. Typically for, Absolutely. for that. You know what? We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we are going to talk about the love continuum and the five steps that you talk about within this book about how to win the customer. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Are you ready to be amazing? Of course you are. That's why you tune into Amazing Business Radio. If you like what you're hearing here, you're going to love my new TV show, Be Amazing or Go Home. Each episode is devoted to sharing ideas to help you be amazing in both your business and personal lives. We also feature an app or technology every week that you're going to find fascinating, and we always have at least two guests on the show. The show is now available on Amazon Prime, Roku, C-Suite TV, and more, so the choice is yours. Be amazing or go home. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. We're back on Amazing Business Radio talking to Howard Tiersky about his new book, Winning Digital Customers, The Antidote to Irrelevance. Um, you can get it online at Amazon. You can get it in bookstores. Uh, you can get the physical copy, which is actually great. And the reason I love to get eBooks, and this is what I do. I buy the eBook. And when I love it, I end up buying the hardbound book. Just go straight to the hardbound book. Buy the book, mark it up, because you will be taking a lot of notes, winning digital customers. All right, I want to get into this love continuum for just a few minutes and realizing I want to pack a lot into this last segment here. We're going to talk about that plus your five steps um, or your formula, if you will. Let's start with the continuum. Sure, absolutely. So one of the things that I've realized for, for many years working with large brands and trying to help them improve in the marketplace is the value of love from a business perspective. If we look today at the companies that have the best profitability, the best growth, and the best multiples in terms of valuation in the stock market for those that are public companies, we see that they tend to be companies that are loved, whether that's Apple or Facebook or Google or Look at Whole Foods recently acquired, of course, by Amazon or Amazon, right? And whether they're digital companies or non-digital companies, Nike, those companies that inspire a lot of customer love have better business metrics overall. Now, when I say love, um, a lot of people sometimes think, well, love, how, how do we love a brand or a company? And of course, the word love can mean a lot of different things, right? I, I love my wife and I love my Ford Mustang, but not exactly in the same way. 
And mm-hmm. similarly, you know, but when we do surveys and we ask consumers, uh, you know, how much they love Starbucks and we ask them how much they love Citibank, we get a very different response. So, you know, this is the type of love that we're talking about here. That, and, and maybe to put a more fine point on it, it's the feeling that you can count on a brand to give you what you need and more and it also has an element of alignment, uh, an element of kind of spiritual connection. This is a brand that gets me and that I am aligned with sort of what their fundamental values are. And, yeah. and one of the challenges that brands have today is many of them don't st- seem to stand for anything from a values perspective. And so that makes it difficult for them to really be truly loved. Now you mentioned Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. They are they stand for something. They stand for fresh or organic. Um, they also are, I mean, their founder who, you know, eventually sold out and, and Amazon, by the way, has not messed with this aspect of it. Uh, their cause marketing, conscious capitalism as uh, I think it's John McKay is there or was their CEO and founder. That was real important that they gave back to the community and customers resonated with that. And they went to that and they loved that. That's right. I wrote a blog post recently about the, the six ways that you can stand for something with your customers. And there's, there's a variety of different ways. And you've mentioned several of them. Certainly one is to take a, a philanthropic stand that demonstrates values. You can also do it through your product. You know, Apple demonstrates their values in every product that when you see the level of care and detail and attention, that's another way of expressing yep. your values. And, um, and you certainly agree about the brands you mentioned, but I mean, Apple clearly, clearly has values that may be apolitical values, you know, near me, they recently opened a Chick-fil-A, for example. Now, there's a company that clearly, you know, has been very vocal about their values. Therefore, I won't go there because I don't align with their values, the, va- the sort of social mm-hmm. values that they stand for. Uh, but okay. now you won't go there. But if I brought you a sack of Chick-fil-A and those waffle fries, would you enjoy it with me? No, I don't want to really confess. But <laughs> <laughs> is I'm anyone kidding. I know how many people are watching. <laughs> Right. Well, we could all, we can all be tempted to go against our values sometimes, right. In a variety of different ways. (laughs) But no, I, I get it. I mean, that's what they're, they're all about is they've made a very uh, Chick-fil-A, but a number of companies make a stand. They make it clear what they're about. Um, You know, I, I recently came across an artist and he said, 100% of the money I bring in goes to charity. I don't need money anymore. I give it all to charity. I said, can I write the check to your charity? He says, absolutely. That's what it's about. Yeah. He's trying to raise money for his charity by giving away a piece of paper that has some ink on it. Yeah. And uh, just love what he's doing. Yeah. Hey, okay. We don't have a whole lot of time. So I don't know if you can go through all five of these, uh, you know, their, your roadmap, as you call it, uh, the steps. How about if we try to do like each one in one yeah, minute. Yeah, sure, no problem. <laughs> so, so as we said, you know, getting customer love is really critical. And to achieve the love, we really say there's there's three key things. You have to meet consistently meet the needs of your customers. You have to occasionally delight them in unexpected ways. And as we just discussed, we have to align with their values. That's the formula. So then the question is, well, well how do you do that? Because it's not always obvious what you need to do to consistently meet the needs of your customers. You may have some ideas, but how do you know for sure what are the most important things? Because your customers might have needs that you don't even realize. Uh, and similarly, what would, what would truly delight them and what are the values that would align? So the five-step process is really to help companies transform from where they are to a position where they really can truly earn and deserve the love of their customers. So let me give you the five steps. The first is to understand your customer. 
And in the book, we go through a lot of techniques for customer research. Most companies, I would say the vast, vast majority of customers, companies underinvest in customer research and or they do customer research that doesn't really get to the heart of what they need to know. So uh, don't have time now, but many, many techniques that we go through in the book to how to make sure you really understand what are your customers' most intense pain points. Then the second is to map the journey to look at. So what is my customer's actual experience today going through the whole life cycle of interacting from awareness all the way through purchase and beyond. And just make sure you really understand what it is. Because again, yeah. many people at companies that are driving the key decisions don't experience their brand as a customer. So you need to make yeah, sure. I was, I was just talking to a healthcare company today. And I said, how many of the executives of the medical center have ever really gone into the ER where they weren't recognized and were treated like I would be treated if I showed up at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night? You know. Well, exactly. That's the so, problem. I, I'll tell you yep. a, a, a quick story because the second part of mapping the journey then is to envision the future and say, what should that omni-channel experience be? And of course, that's easier said than done. But in the book, we go through a lot of details about how you do that. But a quick story about that point. I remember years ago, I was working with a major vacation uh, resort company and we went in and we had we were told you have 15 minutes to explain to the CEO this massive customer transformation project that we want to get funding for. But you only have 15 minutes because it's a two-hour meeting and there's like 20 other topics. I'm like, okay. So we go in and we just painted a picture of the future, the vision of what the customer journey should be because we didn't have time to really give a lot of context. And we got to the end and he said, well, I mean, that all sounds obvious, but isn't that pretty much how we operate today? And we were all like, oh, whoa, like, no, this was a dramatic transformation. But he, he didn't even understand the challenges and yep. pain points and problems that his customers had. So, yep. so mapping that vision of what should, the, what should the customer's experience be? Then the third is to build the future, which is how do you make that journey a reality? And usually the customer journey is made up of a series of products. And when we use the word product, we, that could be anything from a website to an e a series, an email campaign to uh, a, uh, you know, an app, a chat bot. So you have all these different touch points, a store, right? All the different touch points that the customer is going to interface with. And each of them is its own separate project or maybe multiple projects. So we talk in the book about a design thinking based approach to how do you really get down to the next level of detail on customer needs? You know, it's one thing to understand your customer in general and create a persona. It's another thing to say, okay, I'm working on the chat bot that's supposed to help them assemble our furniture. Now, what are their needs there? I'm working on a virtual reality tour of the car to help them decide if they want to buy it. And really make sure, again, customer research, you understand their needs. So that's that's the third step is to build build the future and really go through and build out that journey. And while you're in the process of doing those three, there's two, the last two steps happen in parallel with those three. The first is to optimize the present because usually the kind of broad transformation that will get you to customer love takes a lot of time. It might take a year, it might take many years. So most organizations aren't that patient. And frankly, your customers aren't that patient, especially if you're letting them down in a lot of ways. So while you're doing that vision of the sort of ideal future, the North Star, how do you go in and just find all the low-hanging fruit? And I can tell you how often we go and we're working with a major telecommunications company right now on their ordering process. And it's just, there's all kinds of little issues that you just got to go in there like, a, like you're like a plumber, just find the leaks and fix yep. them. And it's amazing how those add up. Remove the friction too. That That's part of what the whole problem is, the friction that's created compared to companies that are really good and make it convenient and easy. Absolutely. And sometimes we'll find hundreds of things. And the analogy I like to use is if you've ever duct taped an electrical cord to the floor, 
like across, let's say, an, a, a hallway. And you see like people start walking by and they step over it. It's fine. 10 people will be fine. 20 people. But after like 50 people, someone trips on it. But they're like the only one. And then if you were to spend your whole day watching, what you'd see is like if 500 people walk by, maybe 12 or 15 of them will trip. Well, you know what? If you have 12 out of 500 people go to your website and abandon their shopping cart checkout because they tripped on something confusing, you just lost 1% of your revenue. Right, so right. How do you, and then if you have 10 things like that on your website and each of them is a half a percent, 1%, you know, this is starting to add up to real money. Yep. So that's that, that's that stage of just looking for all the little stuff. And then the last, which really isn't the last, but it's, it's the leadership angle. How do you lead change? Because there's usually resistance to change in organizations. And so we go into, in the book, a lot of the challenges that you face when you try to get organizations and teams to change and what you need to do about it. Wow. That's, I mean, you blew through it so quickly. Love it. And, and really, I think that for me, the big takeaway is, number one, the journey map. Everything needs to be journey mapped. We've talked about this on the show. Number two, you're looking to the future uh, on this. And looking to the future doesn't mean you have to negate what's happening right now in front of you. You're right. Depending on the size of the organization, it's going to take a long time, several years, more than that even in some cases, to get everybody back into alignment with the customer love. A leader's job is to do more than just put together deals and grow the company. It's also to defend the culture and get everybody in alignment. That takes time. We have time for one more question. And I know you know what that question is. It's my one thing question. And you know what? I'm going to phrase it a little differently. If there's absolutely one best point you want to make out of this book, what would that be? The book, again, Winning Digital Customers, available at your favorite bookseller or on Amazon. Well, I think the one best point is that the customer will guide you to where you need to be if you use the right techniques. Because as I said earlier, the money is in the customer behavior. So just remember that the number one goal of any business is to drive the customer's behavior in a way that's strategic for your business's interests. And hopefully, of course, creating value for the customer and, and, and delivering something so your business is fulfilling a spiritual purpose, not just making money. So if you, if you follow the types of techniques that are outlined in the book, but also a, a user-centered approach to, to every step of the way, it's not just at the beginning, it's, it's you, you study the customer to understand the problems and then you hypothesize solutions and you test those. And then you prototype specific products and you test those with customers. And then once something's launched, you make sure you have the right sensors in place, the right data collection in place to make sure you really continuously understand what's really going on with the customer and have the humility to know that it's very difficult. It's very difficult to really understand what's going on in someone else's mind so try not to jump to conclusions, but really get super curious to understand what's really driving customers to do what they're doing, because at the other end of that curiosity is probably a nugget of knowledge that can help you build a better business. Yeah, love it, love it. The book again, Winning Digital Customers, The Antidote to Irrelevance by Howard Tiersky. Thanks for being on Amazing Business Radio. This is why we call it Amazing Business Radio. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. All right, everybody, that wraps it up. Another great interview. We will be back next week and have somebody else. I'm not sure who it's going to be, but whoever it will be, it is going to be amazing. Come back then. This is Chef Hyken. Until then, reminding you to always be amazing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.